Hello, I'm Richard Moss, Associate Professor of Political Science at Old Dominion University and coordinator of the U.S. Foreign Policy and International Relations Concentration in ODU's Graduate Program in International Studies. And hi, my name is Alexander Wanoshka. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science in the Bosley School of International Affairs at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. And my newest book is Military Alliances in the 21st Century, published this spring by Polity. And we are here today to discuss the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has killed thousands and commanded much of the world's attention during these past few months. Right. So to kick things off, my question to you, Richard, is this. So you recently wrote an article for the Texas National Security Review on salami tactics that I highly recommend everyone to read. Now, those tactics appear to have been very much in the Russian playbook, but the full onslaught of Russia's invasion since the 24th of February suggests that is no longer the case. What do you think? Yeah, one of the most surprising aspects of this invasion was Putin's decision to choose a full-scale invasion rather than continuing with the salami tactics that he had previously employed in both Georgia and Ukraine. Uh, salami tactics involve using repetitive, limited fates accompli to expand influence while avoiding potential escalation. And they work best by quickly changing facts on the ground via ambiguous means that preserve an air of plausible deniability um, and so leave room for foreign policymakers and publics who would rather not intervene to argue against a vis vigorous response. Um, and Russia used Slummy tactics relatively effectively in Georgia in 2008 and Ukraine in 2014, implementing rapid fates accompli while blaming them on local rebels to preserve ambiguity long enough to solidify its control on the ground. Um, but Russia abandoned that playbook with its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. There's nothing subtle about a months-long buildup to 190,000 troops surrounding Ukraine's borders, and the subsequent invasion both failed to quickly change the territorial status quo and left no doubt who the aggressor is. Ongoing events on the battlefield will eventually determine where borders stand after the war, but given the invasion's failures, it's likely that Russian leaders will draw the lesson from this war that their former playbook was the more effective one. There's a lot of discussion going on right now about how best to seek an end to the conflict, uh, including how, if at all, the United States and Europeans should apply pressure for a ceasefire. Yet many would find it hard to really trust that a Putin-backed ceasefire would actually foster security in Eastern Europe. Both his own speeches and other Russian media have disavowed Ukraine's statehood and claimed a historical right to rule it, an imperial perspective that implicitly extends to other post-Soviet and Eastern European states as well. So without evidence of that perspective radically changing, it remains hard to discount future Russian revisionism albeit potentially returning to salami tactics rather than further conventional invasions. What do you think? Well, I very much agree with what you just said. I'm very skeptical of any sort of ceasefire agreement uh, possible at this particular juncture. For one, Russia does not seem to be particularly interested in any ceasefire agreement at the moment, in part because it is making incremental progress in the Donbass. And for another, Ukraine leaders themselves have expressed the view, reasonably in my opinion, that Russia would simply use any ceasefire agreement to regroup and to reconstitute itself before renewing its offensive whenever it is opportune for it to do so. Now, you, your recent book on military alliances in the 21st century is certainly relevant to this conversation. Uh, one of the biggest effects of Russia's full-scale invasion has appeared to be the consolidation of support for NATO within Europe, exemplified in actions like the provision of weapons to Ukraine, Finland and Sweden's pursuit of NATO membership, and German commitments to raise military spending. Uh, so how do you see the war's implications for NATO moving forward? Well, let's focus on salami tactics. I really do judge that any sort of limited territorial seizure against the Baltic countries and or the Nordic countries to be 
fairly unlikely at the moment for the simple reason being that Russia has been investing so much of its combat capable forces in Ukraine. So that creates a very opportune moment for Sweden and Finland to seek their membership uh, in NATO. Moreover, in perhaps um, anticipation of these particular risks of salami tactics and so forth, NATO countries have been reinforcing, as you have said, the enhanced forward presence battle groups in Poland and the Baltic countries. Now, whether they are sufficiently dispersed to provide as much territorial coverage so as to prevent salami tactics, I cannot really say. However, I think those forces have now become certainly combat credible enough to prevent those fait accompli that you mentioned already. Now, that all said, I think the record does show that Putin is much more risk acceptant than previously believed, and so vigilance is absolutely necessary all the same. Yeah, that does seem to be one of the major takeaways from uh, the war so far, that uh, while Russia's military capability may be not quite as uh, as advanced or as powerful as many anticipated in, adv in advance of the conflict, um, that Putin does seem much more risk acceptant than uh, many kind of uh, attributed to him in advance. So uh, we will absolutely continue to be watching events uh, in Ukraine as they unfold. Um, and thank you for sharing this stimulating conversation. Thank you.